Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hey, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. Well, this week, we get to talk to Dan Chenuck, Executive Director of the IBM Center for Business of Government and former Chief of the Information Policy and Technology at OMB. And that's just one of his many positions in government. One of my favorite positions that he served on was President Barack Obama's transition team as the government lead for the Technology, Innovation, and Government Reform Group. And this position actually won him one of his many awards. And today we're going to get Dan's insights on a top government story about the U.S. Special Operations Command Chief Data Officer calling for more AI and how to improve the cybersecurity workforce. Welcome to Tech Transforms, Dan. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me and looking forward to it. Welcome, Dan. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Well, let's just dive right in. So during an episode on the Daily Scoop podcast in May, you stated that one of the top stories impacting the business of government was Thomas Kenny speaking in this article, U.S. Special Operations Command Chief Data Officer says digital information depends on AI. So I was a little surprised that you would say this is like the, one of the top stories of the year. And I would love for you to unpack that a little bit. What are the key ideas that make this the top story? Well, first of all, it was the top story of the week. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, okay. So I was on I was on uh, the um, the the Fed Scoop countdown, which um, talks about the three top stories that uh, different guests have every week. Um, nonetheless, for that week, uh, I thought this was very important uh, because it you hear a lot about AI in uh, how it's you know affecting service delivery or customer service in companies and um, how governments uh, in their service provision are going to more AI-based customer service for like social security or um, local driver's licenses. You hear some about AI and it's improving uh, the defense mission, but not a lot. And so the the chief data officer at um, at SOCOM, I think, even following a, a larger def- defense department. A move toward AI that was led principally in the last couple of years by the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center or the Jake, and then kind of has now been instantiated across DOD and has reached a new formulation in, in DOD headquarters. And so SOCOM, um, which is the um, Special Operations Command, mm-hmm. uh, uh, has has people, missions around the world. And some of the most uh, important, most um, uh, relevant missions in terms of defending the nation and carrying out the work of the Defense Department uh, overseas is done through uh, SOCOM missions. And the chief data officer first and foremost talked about AI isn't just about automating like a business process. It's actually helping deliver the mission to soldiers and support teams in the field. And so there, the three-part strategy of mission first and then kind of business intelligence, because when you're in the field and there's information coming in about um, threats or, or um, uh, engagements from different domains, whether it's land, sea, air, uh, cyber, um, that information is coming and has to get to the person in the field to make quick decisions. 
about what to do next with where to move troops or where to um, where to fall back to, um, you know, how to allocate different different types of of military material. So, so the intelligence part of this is is helping democratize the data across all different parts of defense so that those special operations forces can have the power of all of the defense department's information uh, in at their fingertips in their mobile devices um, in their uh, different types of, of ways that they uh, that they receive information so that's the second part of the strategy is is the fusing of, of data and information. So supporting the mission, fusing of data. And then the third part is the more traditional, what you hear about from AI in, in the last few years, I call it more traditional, I guess that's the last few years, um, use of AI to improve back office operations, to improve how um, finance, HR systems, also IT systems are working. And that can raise the performance of the entire organization um, as it has been doing uh, for several years and in, in a demonstrated way across different agencies in the government. So. I thought those three elements were really uh, interesting, and that's what called it out to me. So a general call to arms, pardon the pun, to increase our uh, use and, and acceptance of AI across the board, because you really hit a lot of different areas. Yeah, I mean, it's a full scope strategy. Um and it, it enables, and, and this can be translated, we'll, I know we'll talk about this in a second, to other mission settings. But the idea of, let's think about how AI supports the mission, how AI supports getting data to, into the hands of the right people quickly so that they can make decisions. And how does it help um, sort of raise the bar of the entire enterprise in terms of all of, all of the systems that are operating to support those, those people in the field, um, I think was, was very important. Are you doing are you doing work today with uh, and when I think of AI I think and I think of IBM I think of Watson and some of, and and the work some of the stuff that you guys do there are you working with that division and that group to help customers on the government side of the house so IBM's done a lot of work on artificial intelligence with the government for several years our center is an independent um think tank of sorts in IBM, so we don't um, per se uh, work with the business teams, but we work alongside them to understand the best practices in AI for government and and bringing that and lots of other information through academic research and partnering um, to government. So yes, we work alongside, but we're not part of the delivery of AI services in that way. And I want to talk more about the center because it is impressive, Mark. There's there's a lot, but the thing in the article that really jumped out to me was the the analyzing and the delivery of the data and just how important that is really to national security, to the warfighter's life. But I, I like that you point out that it really is, you know, AI in those three different areas. And because AI is like, it's that's such a huge term. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to know before we jump from this article, how you think agencies can better align with this three-pronged mission that Kenny talks right. about. Yeah, so I think it's a really good model for other agencies to follow, which is another reason why I thought it was an important article. Um, so they're chief data officers now at every agency. And our center's written a couple of different reports on how to um, how to be a chief data officer uh, successfully in a government agency. And by, those reports are free, by the way. I'm just going to keep free, shamelessly plugging this center. You do. It's massive and it's there's just so much there. www.businessofgovernment.org. There we go. It's all free. It's all there. Um, we're all public domain. 
Um, so any agency, whether it's the Department of Education delivering student financial aid to um, families and students in need, uh, or the Department of Health and Human Services delivering uh, assistance to needy families, or the Department of Transportation working with, uh, with, with air transit companies who are sending information about their air traffic situation around the world. Any agency can apply that strategy to their mission to say, all right, what's the, what's the goal that we have to achieve and how can the use of artificial intelligence, which basically means um, systems that learn over time and that enable people to do their jobs better by giving them information more quickly, by allowing them to see the, the needle in the haystack, the, the, the anomaly that's going to cause a problem quickly without having to do hours, weeks, or even months of analysis to get there. Um, so AI accelerates that decision-making, and you can apply that to customer service in the education example or to business partnership um, in the transportation example. Uh, and then all of that data comes from many different sources. So there are, uh, sticking with the education example, in order to award a, a loan to a student, you need to have data coming from the family. You need to have data uh, uh, often coming from the financial institution, data coming from the Department of Education to um, verify that the family needs, data coming from, from the college and university who kind of administers that. Um, so there's lots of different entities. And, I, and in the financial services world, there's there's multiple enterprises that, that often get involved, especially in commercial loans. So there's lots of different data. And that second part of the, of the frame around fusing that data, get, making sure that everybody has it and can track it at the same time, um, that's important. And then, of course, all agencies ride on what's increasingly a cloud computing-based infrastructure. Um, so they're not using servers in their own buildings. They're taking advantage of the capability of distance computing, cloud-based uh, computing, as it's called. And um, that can enable agencies to, to bring in data from more diverse environments um, and not have to keep it on their premises. So they, um, they can basically expand and, and identify what's needed to make a decision quickly and not have to collect the data, which introduces a lot of, of additional throughput, a lot of additional time and effort, additional storage costs. So uh, all of these things uh, are what helps make AI, I think, a, a really fascinating technology for the customer service improvements in the 20, in the 2020s. <laughs> did you say that, sorry, Mark, I just want to know, did you say that um, the reports that you guys have in the, in the center break down that mission? Do any of them break down the three parts of the mission and even suggest not vendors, but like technologies that would aid in each of those? Um, so we've, we haven't framed it in the way that the article did. That's why I thought the article was so interesting. But okay. we have touched on all three of those areas in multiple reports around AI and related technologies in, in sort of a suite that we refer to as intelligent automation. And those technologies include robotics process automation, sort of, you know, making commonly repeated tasks quicker and, and uh, the use of bots um, uh, to, to enable faster service. Uh, blockchain networks, um, which we can get into if you want, which are uh, sort of shared networks of secure information exchange. Um, and then emerging technologies, of course, cybersecurity uh, uh, underlies all intelligent automation in terms of making sure that it that we deliver trusted service. So we've we've written about um, both in our academic research and also in our points of view that we often write on our blog. We've held roundtables about these topics with government leaders. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there uh, in the center about the topic. I think we're going to try to touch on some of the cybersecurity efforts in a little bit. 
But I um, am curious to know if you have an opinion on uh, how the U.S. and in this case, I guess the government as a whole is competing it globally as it relates to AI. So I think if you think about private industry globally and government globally, AI, like any technology, tends to trail a little bit in its application in government, even though the creation of new technologies, government's often funding the most innovative and advanced um, uh, uses of those technologies through the defense, um, through DARPA, the Defense Research uh, Project Projects Agency, through the National Science Foundation. Um, so there's a lot of funding of basic research. The Department of Energy's labs come to mind, NASA. Um, and its centers come to mind that are driving a lot of really significant, important um, uh, application of new technologies in new ways. In terms of of applying that to business processes, well, the private sector now, as it has always, um, uh, has the business incentive to bring in those technologies quickly so that they can get a competitive advantage and improve their customer service. And because government doesn't necessarily have that they tend to lag a few years, and this is true for many technologies over decades, in terms of bringing those technologies into, uh, into their orbit. So I think that you're seeing that continuing uh, today. Having said that, there are many government agencies in the US and around the world and um, uh, countries ranging from Singapore to the UK um, that are taking AI and related technologies and applying it to different types of processes that that they're involved in. in. In some areas, I think the U.S. is is doing really well. In other areas, other countries are doing well. And interestingly, you're seeing some sort of international organizations that work with multiple countries that are that are applying AI to benefit uh, many. So a little bit yes and a little bit no. Well, it sounds like we're great innovators in the government and we just, we lag with the, the application. I I've got I, I think, I think it, that's a technology cycle that has existed for decades. Um, okay. And I think, you know, while it may be accelerating today, I think it's still uh, generally accurate. I've got to think the DOD and the IC are much further along. They've got more, more incentive, maybe not the business. They don't have that business driver like commercial organizations do, but they certainly have national security interests that are zero-sum game type scenarios. And mm-hmm. that and that is that's a strong that's a strong incentive. Sure, DoD's done some phenomenal work in in the SOCOM example being one, in in leveraging AI to improve its work. Uh, like every agency, DoD still has many systems that are based on uh, older technologies that are are they're moving forward slowly. Um, uh, and uh, other agencies are in the same position. One of the other initiatives that we are working on in the center is helping make the government more agile. We're working with the National Academy of Public Administration, which is sort of like the National Academy of Sciences or Engineering, but for government um, uh, work. And we've set up a a thing called the Agile Government Center, which tries to accelerate government's ability to not only implement technology, but to deliver policies, programs, and and to implement programs in a way that kind of addresses that point. One, one, One more question, Carolyn, and I promise I'll shut up. You better not shut up. That's the whole point of this, Mark. <laughs> so, Dan, Dan, it, it seems to me that because you, you mentioned uh, the connection between government and, and a lot of different organizations being able to work together and to share ideas. Uh, it, it used to be it's, it, 
at least it seems it used to be that academia and the government had a connection to share thoughts and ideas and, and technologies. Where do we stand on that today? Is it as strong as it used to be or um, do we need to improve there? Well, I'm a graduate of a school of government. Um, so I, I uh, and we work, our center works regularly that's our that's sort of the the core of our research base is, is academia academic research from leading experts who are writing for government uh so we are uh sort of sitting at the intersection of government industry and academia in terms of of how we bring information forward to the world and to the two government leaders um i think there are other pathway other organizations where you've got a lot of government research um uh, affiliation with universities in their field, like, like you know, uh, medical schools with the Department of Health and Human Services or uh, many research um, teams across the, the country from academic academia with the National Science Foundation. Um, so I think you've got a lot of different ways that, that government intersects with academia. Um, that said, act, you know, people in academia are about teaching and research. Um, and so the, 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 the trick is to make sure that you get the roles and responsibilities right. You shouldn't be ask, academics aren't going to be the ones delivering a program, but they can help bring best practice uh, to that. And, and part of what we, we try to do is identify for government who are the academics that are really doing innovative work and bring those ideas forward. Gotcha. Yeah. So one of the big challenges that we have that you've talked a lot about, Dan, is um, cybersecurity. I mean, we have... Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay off my soapbox here and stick to the topic that I want to talk about. Just the the talent gap in cybersecurity across private and public sector. It's estimated that we have a half a million jobs that aren't filled. That 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 is growing. And you have one article, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cite it here because I want it in the show notes so our listeners can link to it. So it's building the cybersecurity workforce America needs that that you wrote. Um, will you talk about what what you talked about in the article and what you think needs to be done to build the cyber workforce and what is being done to build the cyber workforce? Sure. So that report, um, a call to action, um, was the was the title we used around improving cybersecurity workforce for government and the nation, um, was actually chartered by Congress to um, have the Department of Homeland Security contract with the National Academy of Public Administration that I mentioned before, which I refer to as NAPA, to do a study of this issue. And uh, my co-chair, Karen Evans, who is the former federal chief information officer at OMB and a really all-star panel of fellows at NAPA, that NAPA has fellows that are kind of senior leaders in government, academia, and, and some industry as well. Um, and we basically work with a study team to address the issue and understand, so what's that gap? If you get beyond that half a million job gap number, what's causing that and what can the government do about it? And um, at, as we were doing the research, the White House was implementing a new, newly congressionally authorized office around cybersecurity um, uh, to basically coordinate across multiple agencies. White Houses have always done this, but they haven't had the congressional um, imprimatur and they haven't been um, sort of large enterprises like, like the uh, NCD is now, which is they're staffing up toward 100 or so people. Um, so we put all this together and we said, now is a great opportunity to have a national strategy um, sort of uh, led by the center of government. There had been great work on national strategies led out of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, at the Commerce Department, mm -hmm. um, 
they had not sort of reached a whole of government um, uh, implementation level, um, just because it's ha- having worked at OMB for many years. Uh, I'm probably biased a little bit, but it's it, you know when the when the center of government speaks. Um, it's normally kind of drives multiple agencies in a different way, especially when it involves the budget authority uh, at OMB. And we've actually had, as, a, as an aside, we've got research showing that to be the case in other countries. So this opportunity in the White House, um, combined with sort of the gaps that we saw, which is you need to have a strategy around engaging with long-term education of the workforce. So teaching all of our kids to be better cyber um, uh, implementers. To, to Basically, we teach all our kids to drive a car when they're 16 uh, and they go through training and stuff. We don't teach them how to drive a computer. Um, and that can introduce a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, so working with the K-12 system to do more education. Second part of the strategy is around working with vocational schools, colleges, universities, to make sure we're providing the type of training that enables people to enter the workforce with a leg up, that gives us a competitive advantage relative to our adversaries. Um, the third is, all right, once you've trained people, you need to have to help them find jobs in the market. So how do you match people to jobs? How do you uh, indicate where all the government jobs are, where all the government support jobs are, um, uh, and sort of ma- match skills to, to availability? And then the fourth part is, how do you measure that the whole system's working? Um, can we create a what we call in the report a Bureau of Cyber Statistics or Bureau of Cyber Data uh, to show that you have the, the metrics to, to move this forward? And then finally, Putting all this together, you need a governance framework um, where every there's lots of different agencies in the U.S. federal government, not to mention state and local governments or international partners. How do you put together that like a whole of government approach that's more than a strategy document that's actually an implement, implementation frame? Uh, and we we saw that led by uh, ONCD, the Cyber Office in the White House. Um, so uh, really important to work with all the other agencies, with NIST, with DHS. Uh, with the National Security Agency and the intelligence community, with the National Science Foundation, Department of Education, Department of Labor. I can keep going. Um, all of whom have cybersecurity responsibilities. So that's basically in a nutshell what the report said. So this was a recommendation. Is it Has it been implemented on any level? So um, we submitted our report to to the Department of Homeland Security and and briefed the congressional authorizing staff. Um, We also briefed the White House Cyber Office um, and of of course um, uh, other interested parties, NIST, uh, we briefed NIST as well. So different parts are starting to be implemented. Actually, there's a cybersecurity summit uh, that the White House Office of National Cyber Director is uh, hosting uh, soon. And uh, we'll have representative um, there uh, at the summit, um, and that will be helping to drive forward the strategy recommendation um, that we have. So I, I'd say um, we're, we've still got a lot of momentum. And uh, if we talk again in six months, I'll, I'll probably have more more tangible outcomes. We just got the report out a couple of months ago, so okay. it takes a little time. I, I love that um, it's been recommended. You know that that we have this from a that we have leadership at the government level. I wonder. <laughs> I'm just thinking about sibling rivalry here, but is one of the barriers to implementing this going to be who gets to be the belly button, as my friend in the Navy would say? So that's where the governance framework really uh, is important. Um, Establishing roles and responsibilities, making sure that people know that they own their lane, but their lane is one lane on a superhighway. It's getting bigger and dizzier. Um, and part of that I didn't mention is the private sector partnership, um, because most of the critical infrastructure, 
uh, most of the vulnerabilities that you see are, are um, coming in come in through through industry. Um, and so having a strong connection, having a strong partnership uh, is is something we pointed out in the report around skill development. It's also more importantly um, a, a critical uh, success factor for cybersecurity uh, at the enterprise level. And I know that's another thing that the administration is looking at. So, so this may be a good segue, I'm not sure, but recently IBM announced that they're establishing a new cybersecurity center for U.S. federal civilians, and I want to understand what that means. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, uh, what the IBM Center for Government Cybersecurity is, and what the central goals are? Sure. I'm on the advisory board for the center, so I'll speak from that uh, hat. Um, so. IBM uh, has many different capabilities, both from a technology perspective and also in terms of our consulting work that address cybersecurity, both directly as a service or a product and also indirectly in how we deliver things like cloud computing networks or AI networks. Um, we kind of build cyber into all of our strategies, um, often referred to as cyber by design. Um, uh, and uh, what we wanted to do with the Center for Government Cybersecurity is kind of have, uh, to, to use Carolyn's term, a belly button, um, uh, to have a place where all of the different capabilities could be easy to access for government clients. By the way, federal civilian, that just means all agencies that are not in the intelligence community. Um, so uh, defense and- too. Some parts of defense, but okay. not not those parts that are on the warfighting side. More well, I'll just say this side. center, Mark, is the thing that I've been shamelessly plugging, www.businessofgovernment.org. <laughs> so the our center, uh, there's two centers going oh, on. Oh, okay. Um, so our center, the think tank, addresses all of government, in, including the intelligence community. And that's the one that I just mentioned, Business, business yes. of Government? Yes, the Center for okay. Government Cybersecurity. Ah. Um, which, so they both, both centers have government in their name. One is the Center for the Business of Government, and one is the Center for Government Cybersecurity. That's the one that Mark, the Center for Government Cybersecurity, Mark was asking about. And, and there we are working with, with all agencies. And, and I would say it, it's really a whole of government effort. So we're trying to work with experts in the intelligence space to bring their best practice to to the civilian space. Um, the other thing, uh, so we're, we're, some of these solutions include um, like zero trust, um, which is a term of art in, in the cyber world now that basically means you trust no one on your network. Assume that everybody's going to get in everywhere. How do you build multiple layers of defense? Traditional cybersecurity defenses were around the perimeter. Um, and, and how do you kind of look inside your network to see who's coming in, have strong authentication, have good monitoring, good information sharing and exchange, quick response activities. So all of those uh, elements are part of that strategy. You bring that into, um, you know, a lot of people think cloud computing is insecure because, well, I don't own the servers, so it's got to be introducing vulnerabilities because it's traveling over the internet. I still have that angst, honestly. Uh, Actually, (laughs) architected correctly, cloud network can be much more secure. Mm-hmm. Because you can spot problems quickly and then propagate solutions to the entire network over the same cloud-based network that's making your computing efficient. Cryptography um, uh, is something that, that we're looking at in terms of protection, uh, the use of, of that advanced technology. And then, of course, um, we do a lot of research and new applications around authentication. So all of those types of activities are kind of uh, what, what, what the Cyber Center uh, for the Center for Government Cybersecurity will bring. Uh, IBM has a, a cyber range in Cambridge, Massachusetts that's um, that brings a lot of these kinds of 
of capabilities there, and um, we'll be working closely with that and other cyber centers. What do you mean a cyber range, like a shooting range? No, <laughs> a cyber, cyber range. Is, a cyber range <laughs> is sort of a is sort of a term for you can. It's like a demo space. Okay. Um, it's like you go there and you can you can kind of play with different cyber tools and see advanced technologies in action. Um, uh, so, so it's uh, something that we're trying to bring into the center, which will be a physical location. Got it. Um, yeah. it'll, be a, it'll be a physical location in, in Washington, DC. Okay. I want to come there. You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> uh, so not exciting as shooting ranges. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about the cyber center is that a key element of this is the board that I mentioned that I'm a member of. Mm -hmm. So this advisory board includes both IBM, but also outside leaders in the cyber field um, and uh, people that have been in, in senior government jobs, both in the civilian space and in the intelligence community um, and uh, the defense community. And we're trying to bring best practice. In, so including IBM solutions, but also looking much more broadly, what's happening across the world? What, what's, what does research tell us? What are our partners in, in the cyber ecosystem that we work with, other companies that we work with? What are they bringing forward? And then, you know, how can we help our government partners um, uh, implement the best practices that we find and take lessons learned and, you know, don't do the thing that went wrong. Um, uh, so, so the board uh, serves that role as well. And are you involved in both centers? So the business of government and the cybersecurity center? Yes, I am the, okay. I am the executive director. So I'm the head of the business of government center, which is the think tank. Yeah. And then I'm on the advisory board of the Center for Government Cybersecurity. So... I want to jump to your role in academia. Mm -hmm. So you're a professor at the University of Texas. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I'm an adjunct associate professor. So okay. I, I, I am not by no means a full professor. It's very important in academia to make sure that you get your title right. Um, I uh, have been doing that um, for, I guess this is the fifth or, I think this is the fifth year because the pandemic years yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so uh, I I am not not teaching actively at the moment, um, uh, but I did teach for several years a class on uh, working with government uh, in terms of how to how to navigate the budget and policy processes of government. Um, so oh, we need that course. It was we need a lot to talk of offline. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> OMB true. stuff. Um, uh, it, you know, teaching people about how the budget works and how to how to work teaching students how to do that when they when they get into government jobs and um uh, also working with the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas with their DC Center they have a they uh, like many schools they have like a, a presence in DC um and so that's where I taught I didn't actually travel to Austin other than for a, me a meeting or two um uh, and uh, but it was it's, it's a really interesting role. And um, uh, going forward, I'm, we're talking about different ways that I can continue to contribute since I'm no longer teaching the, the class as of last year. So, Carolyn, we, we may have to commission Dan to come in and talk to our sales team about that. No, I'm not kidding. Like, we really need that. And I'm I'm wondering, too, if you've considered or toyed with the idea going back to your cybersecurity report and recommendations. One of the things that you said is to educate our kids, which I'm not going to lie. I had a pang of guilt as a mother. I'm like, oh, I didn't really do that with my son. I mean, my son is not a millennial. He's a gen, are they the Gen Zers? So he was born in 98. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, cybersecurity was not as much of a thing in the beginning. It didn't really come to the forefront of my mind until he was already, you know, eyeballs deep into it. So I'm just wondering if you've considered teaching a course like in the classroom to educate our kids. Um, I have taught at the college level um, on cybersecurity, on AI, on blockchain, most of these guest lecturing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important to educate kids. I've not, I've not done it myself, but you know, maybe in the next stage of life when I'm serving on boards and what, what have you, I'll, I'll be able to have time to do that. Maybe you can just write a little manual, like for mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so. Believe me, I have three girls. Uh, they're similar ages to yours. They're sort of around that era. And um, uh, it's a, it's always a, an interesting document. All right. Well, yeah. we're going to jump to our tech talk questions now. So these are just quick hit questions, just kind of fun. Mostly sure. it's to build my reading list, but. Um, no, that's cool. And I'm happy to talk about that and anything else you want to talk about. Well, so the first Tech Talk question, I'll take a Mark. And I would love to know what you think the next big leap in technology uh, will be. I'd also like to know what the next big leap in technology you would like to be. Like if you had a magic wand and you could wave it, like what would it, what would you do? So I think uh, to the first question, um, quantum computing is really um, moving forward and you're seeing um, like IBM recently actually built a quantum computer, one of the first ones to be um, moved forward at that scale. You've got a tremendous amount of research on quantum computing, and, and it's got the power to take all of the things that I said earlier and magnify their impact because it creates the ability to work at great speeds and in multiple dimensions. And I don't mean that. I know. I know we're going to talk about science fiction later, um, uh, but uh, it allows you to, to process multiple workloads at once in the same. Um, sort of the same compute power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really uh, sort of exponentially um, uh, important in terms of speed and Wait, scale. This is a dumb question. C- can't computers already do that? So not as fast uh. and not, not as many. Um, uh, and computers are doing, even when they're working now, they're working on, they're doing gazillions of transactions a second, but they're, they're, And I'm not a computer scientist, so I I may not describe this exactly correctly. My understanding is that quantum computing enables much more rapid, much more scalable um, processing power. Um, So would a good good analogy be, uh, think of it, Carolyn, uh, like the the hypersonic missiles. Oh, yeah. It's computing at, at, at at a new level. Okay. Like they're going super fast and they're undetectable. Right? Did I get that right? Uh, no, they, they wouldn't be infectable. <laughs> okay. You can set up networks, but um, okay. uh, they're going super fast, and they're going. There are many, many things happening at once that are all going super fast. Okay. Um, put it that way. Uh, so, what my wish for technology? Actually, it's more about the impact of technology than what I wish technology would do, and that's um, uh, to have a material impact in improving how we all live our lives, how we all do our jobs, um, improving the, the welfare of societies to, um, uh, by delivering services more quickly, by um, using technology to, to you know, monitor the environment and help with achieving sustainability goals. Our center did a couple of reports on that um, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, 
improving how obviously how governments deliver. So all of the a lot of people think about technology as, oh my God, it's I'm never gonna understand it. Um, you know, it's a big black box. Um done properly, uh, it, you know, my my hope is that governments and other other enterprises and society, businesses, schools, um, leverage the power of technology to really improve lives and livelihoods, uh, both in the U.S. and around the world. That That is my wish, too. That is what makes me love my job and just that, like, I think, why haven't we solved a lot of these problems? Is it just because there's no money? In solving them, uh, you know, uh, there's a a lot of we're going to start getting into political science. I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, when you get when you when you're trying to solve problems at a national scale, especially in a in a multi um, sort of a, a multicultural society like the U.S. with many, you know, there's 50 states, there's many different or, uh, organizations and counties. There's um, intersections with the private sector in lots of different ways. We have a uh, eth- highly ethnically diverse population. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very difficult to kind of line that all up in a single direction. Uh, it's it's you see more progress generally, like Singapore. You know, it's a small small city state nation. They've got a tremendous um, digital technology infrastructure uh, work. I recently met with their uh, digital minister, um, uh, a gentleman named Kaifeng Ching, who was visiting uh, the U.S. And um, you know, it's a tremendous uh, story. Estonia. Um, uh, has leveraged technology to make to democratize their cabinet meetings, um, so everybody can kind of see in and see what's happening. Um, so th- there's lots of ways that you can do it, and there's lots of examples in the U.S. Uh, of technology improving people's lives. Uh, one that comes to mind in the Johnson County, Kansas, right, biggest county in, in Kansas, Kansas City type environment. Um, they had a problem with um, recidivism among their prison population, um, and uh, they they used AI to say, all right, who are the people that are, let's look at all the data around the people that, that are leaving prison that don't come back and the people that are leaving prison that do. And let's design uh, interventions in in their during their prison tenure that make them more like the people that didn't come back. Like what? What were the characteristics of those people? And they actually saw a measurable improvement in. Wow, uh, I love I love that. See, that's like we all need to be like Bhutan, and we did I say that right? The the nation that measures gross happiness rather than GDP. Oh, Bhutan, yeah, Bhutan, yeah, Bhutan, Dubai, Bhutan. Well. Dubai does that as well. Yeah, and and like they believe in innovation, they believe in you know development, but always with a purpose. Mm-hmm. The, oh, the problem we've got is we'll never gr- agree on what happiness is here. That's the problem, right? <laughs> None of us agree on what happiness is, what right or wrong is. Okay, I'm we yeah. we, we could talk about this forever. So, Our Mark, strength you get- is a weakness in that, but yeah, that's a, that's a deep topic, and uh, we could literally do a whole podcast on that alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should. But well, even- I, I, I'm a big fan of Charlie Brown, and and uh, Charles Schultz wrote long ago that happiness is a warm puppy. So. I'll start there. I think we can get broad agreement on that proposition. There we go. I think you're right. So, um, well, kind of uh, to, to Carolyn's point at the very beginning of the tech talk questions was, uh, what are some of the some of the things that you're listening to or that are inspiring you, like podcasts? It could be TV, books, um, movies, anything like that, um, as it relates to tech. 
Um, well, first of all, of course, I should start with our podcast, The Business of Government Hour, um, <laughs> which is uh, a kind no, and I say that both because I'm I'm the boss, but also because the 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 gentleman who uh, hosts this, Michael Keegan, is a phenomenal um, podcast host. He's consistently rated among the top podcasts in the government sector, um, and it's it's a really interesting space. And you can get to it through the website, and it's it's all free. Um, so you can hear interviews with almost a thousand government leaders over the, going back over the last 20 years. Yeah. I'm uh, glad you mentioned that he does a full hour every week with a thought mm-hmm. leader. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, we've never been rated Carolyn. I don't get that. Hey, we will be Mark. Now that we've <laughs> okay, had Dan on, okay. we will be. Um, uh, of course, now I have a new podcast uh, that I, that I'm going to be listening to now that I've uh, made your acquaintance. So I look forward <laughs> to that. Um, I listen uh, personally to a lot of political type podcasts like, um, uh, uh, Politics Nation, uh, the one with James Carville and uh, Al Hunt, or Pod Save America, or um, uh, Hacks on Tap. So I'm sort of a DC junkie that way. And and while I'm walking my dog, I that's when I get my podcasts listened to uh, in the morning. You said um, other uh, sort of books. Um, I try not to read about technology um, uh, directly. Like I, I don't read like usually like the biography of, of a big tech person, but I'll try to read books that have a, I do read a lot of science fiction. Um, I watch a lot of science fiction movies. We can talk more about that. Um, uh, so it's got a, it's got sort of a tech element. So, and that's sort of, that of course inspires ideas about, couldn't we do this? Because I say, hey, I just saw it yes. on, you know, the latest episode of the new Star Trek or something like that. That's yeah. right. This is why sci-fi is so important. It inspires those ideas, but let's just jump right to that. What's your favorite sci-fi? Like, what? Give me some sci-fi books to read. What are you reading right now? Or uh, so my the book I'm I just finished is Clara and the Sun, um, which is about a, a, the, an artificial a future in which artificial intelligence has been infused into um, mass-produced um, artificial friends that are that kids have when they're growing up. So some kids that are wealthier have these artificial friends and they actually are sold in like convenience stores. Um, and uh, it, it's a fascinating look at how AI based culture can affect human relationships. Okay. Just added it to my reading list. Um, and then um, uh, movies. So uh, we, in my house, uh, my family has an expression that there's the Dan channel. Which is anytime there's a Star Trek, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings movie, um, and I see it, I just I'll be glued to the set. Um, so th- those are the three uh, that I'll uh, kind of look to um, for for different different reasons. Star Trek or Star Wars? Both. I, I know that there's like a divide, and there's no, some people. We don't have to choose, Dan. That's wrong to ask us to choose. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So what do you think of the new um, Strange New Worlds? Have you watched that? No, my kids watched it, but I haven't. Oh, oh the Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not um, Stranger Things. Strange yeah, I thought World. you were saying Stranger Things. Um, uh, no, I love Strange New Worlds. I think it's great. And Picard? Did you like that um, one? Yeah, well, Picard's terrific. Um, Discovery. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I think um, they're all good. Picard's one of my, uh, uh, one of my favorite characters. Me too. But I mean, I just love Patrick Stewart, but yeah, Mm -hmm. Picard, I want to marry him. Um, (laughs) Okay. Do you have any questions for us or anything that you want to mention, Dan, that we did not mention? Um, Just that I, you know, I'm part of our 
role as a center is to engage with people like yourselves and partners to build relationships and alliances that can help bring together uh, companies and and uh, government folks who are working with companies and uh, and identifying sort of what's best for the world um, and uh, bringing that uh, collective capability through blogs and podcasts and informing the research that we do. So if your um, listeners and viewers uh, you know, hear this and they start looking at the website and they have ideas or thoughts about, you know, what, what could be done next in terms of a, of an academic report or a topic that we might address. Um, I would welcome uh, any and all uh, comers and you can uh, go to our website and, and basically contact us that way. Uh, you can also put my email in the show notes, which I think you've got. Okay. Fantastic. Well, this has been this has been awesome, and you've been a really good guest, Dan. Thank you for taking the time to to do this with us this morning. Sure, I'm happy to do. It. Any last questions? Tee, tee it up, Carolyn. All right. Well, Dan, I do have one more question. Do you work with agencies if they have a question about how to implement AI or need a strategy or something like that? Do, can they come to you and say, "Counsel us"? Yeah, they can and they do. Um, and our center is not a delivery organization, so we wouldn't be the ones that would actually implement a strategy. Um, that would be our business partners, both IBM and the business partners that we work with in 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 our eco in the ecosystem of companies that work with government. Our center is more about what's the best practice in solving that problem. Let's bring together some experts for a roundtable, or let's hire an academic um, uh, expert to do that. So some of our content gets produced by specific questions from the government like that. More often, um, uh, the bulk of our content is actually produced off of a research agenda that we um, publish. And that research agenda sort of identifies based on talking to government leaders, uh, what are the key issues that they need help with? Mm -hmm. um, and then we take the research agenda and we put it out to the field, uh, sort of like an academic peer review pro process for a periodical. And we say, give us proposals for papers. And they they submit every six months or so. We get about fifty to seventy five proposals, and we have a down select process where we do a peer review, and we we probably fund about five or six. So about one in ten come in. You get that um, many proposals from government agencies, or is it no? These these are proposals from academia. Ah, okay. So these are problems presented by government uh -huh. that we kind of put together in a broad research agenda, and then we say to the academics. Can you give ideas for papers that would solve these problems? And then we 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 actually award the most what are through a process that we go through. We award the most what we believe the most relevant papers are. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you both. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I like talking to both of you and the dog in the background. <laughs> my my apologies. <laughs> no, that's all right. There's one in there's one I think in both of your houses. Yeah, yeah. Mine's been in and out. Mine's yeah. his name's Han Solo. By the way, oh, okay. Well, there. Oh, so, wow. Well, you got me there. Um, you got me there. Well, our dog Lola is uh, upstairs, so I did um, uh, sleeping. <laughs> All right. Well, well thanks, thanks so thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, and thanks to our listeners. Like and share this episode, and we will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 